Welcome to Days of Roar, our Detroit Tigers podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorash. I am here with Free Press beat writer Evan Petzold after a super fun five and two week. Ev, yeah, it's been a long time since you had that much fun in the press box, huh? It was pretty insane. I mean, when you look at it, you know, top to bottom, right? You know, the Tigers played some good baseball in Kansas City. Um, I thought that, you know, quite honestly, they, you know, got away with winning that game on Wednesday. And then they play the White Sox. And this is a White Sox team that came in pretty hot and they were playing, playing pretty well. Now there are questions kind of all around their team, right? And we'll get into this when it comes to some team chemistry differences between the Tigers and the White Sox. But the White Sox were playing some pretty decent ball, starting to kind of turn things around coming into Detroit. And the Tigers pretty much handed it to them. Won three or four games over the weekend, a seven to two win on Thursday, a seven to three win on Saturday and a six to five win on Sunday with the only loss being the, the George Lombard managed game um, on Friday when the Tigers lost 12 to three, they got absolutely smoked. AJ Hinch was in Houston for his daughter's high school graduation and Lombard didn't get the job done, but, uh, but man, no, it was a, it was a great week an awesome weekend um, to see this team play into their potential is about as good as it's going to get. And they're playing competitive baseball even after Sunday's game, you know, asking Eduardo Rodriguez, hey, look, Eduardo, you guys are on this stretch of, of playing really good baseball. What, what does this mean to you? And he said, it means we can make the postseason. I mean, that, that's, you got your ace, you got your team leader talking about making the postseason. And you kind of look around the room and you talk to different guys and you, you pick up on the vibe. And that vibe is there. There is a belief that this team can, can do it. They can make a run and they're in a, a division that's not very good. In the AL Central, Tigers, you know, as of Sunday, um, are a game out and they're a game under 500. And yeah, this is a team that can can maybe make some noise here. They're they're playing really well. Do you know what the most important aspect of a good team in any sport, good sales team in business, just in general, a hallmark of a good team? You know what the single most important aspect of it is? Or actually, we'll, we'll go with you know a couple of different properties here, but you, you know what they are. I'm going to go with team chemistry. Well, I'm going to say team chemistry is sec is second, but the first thing any team that's going to win consistently has to be able to do is deal with adversity. Mm. You you cannot fold when things go wrong, and why they go wrong, and when they go wrong, and you can't finger point. You just have to figure out how to overcome it. So I love to tweet sometimes in these tight games, find a way. And you know what happens to good teams? They find a way. doesn't matter if the other team like Kansas City gives them the game or what Chicago did. But nobody remembers in September some game in May that a bad team gave them. It just, they just remember that you grounded out. They don't remember that Luis Robert took a terrible angle on what should have been a double off of Riley Green swinging uh, the ninth and turned it into a triple. Nobody remembers. They just remember that he was on third and Tim Anderson couldn't handle a chop. Game was tied. So they just keep finding ways. Game after game after game after game in the month of May. They are now 15-9 and nine in May, 5-2 and two week. And you don't ever have to apologize for winning, my man. No, I mean, look, you, you talk about yeah. adversity and fighting back and, you know, showing that you got more in the tank, even when nobody thinks you got anything in the tank. I mean, look no further. I mean, I know you mentioned Sunday's game, but look no further than Saturday's game when, you know, the White Sox, they put up a three spot in the top of the seventh inning to take a three to two lead. Michael Lorenzen, he had a perfect game going. He was looking great, pitching sharp. You know, a couple runners get on. There's a leadoff walk in that top of the seventh. Jason Foley comes in. There's a fielding error by Andy Abanez that extends the inning. Gavin Sheets hits the double, and and you know that that drives in three runs. And just like that, the White Sox are up three to two. And in the bottom of the seventh inning, the Tigers immediately respond. You know, Zach McKinstry, your boy Jordan, hits a home run, and and you know kind of gets that momentum turning the other direction, ties the game three to three. Riley Green doubles. Spencer Torgelson doubles. Now it's four three Tigers. There's a wild pitch by Joe Kelly. Obviously, he's rattled. Eric Haas comes through with the single, another RBI, and it's 5-3 Tigers 
And then Zach Short hits a two-run home run in the eighth inning, and the Tigers win 7-3. to three, And it was just like that. Boom. Okay. Now, now this team's in the lead. Now this team has a cushion, and and it's it's game over at that point. It's, that's, that's a perfect example, is it not? It's a perfect example. And it's not the first time, and it just seems to be time after time. And it seems to thing. be... It seems to be players who have a history of never really doing anything at the major league level who all of a sudden are key parts of the A.J. Hinch chess game. I mean, Zach Short has a 156 career <laughs> batting average in the major leagues before these last 35 at-bats, and now he's you know, hitting the ball hard at least once a game, if not more. And he's actually launching in the stands and walking and playing good defense and everything he didn't do the last two times he's been here. Hey, I mean, you want to, you want to talk about the chess match though? I mean, you, you just dropped that and you're talking about Zach short too. So let's go back to that, you know, series finale in Kansas city, right? Like let's, let's go right there and talk about the sixth inning. I mean, that's a situation where, you know, Josh Taylor comes in, a lefty out of the bullpen, taking over for Zach Grinke. Riley Green doubles, and the Tigers are in business. And, and Matt Veerling hits a one-out single. So you got runners on the corners, and AJ's got a decision to make. He's got a Keel Badu coming up to the plate, a left-handed hitter against a left-handed pitcher, and he pulls Zach Short off the bench. And and Zach Short, you go look at the career numbers. I mean, this this, this guy is uh, he's not someone who's supposed to be up here doing what he's doing right now, but he's prepared. He's ready. He knows that the opportunity could present itself, you know, for a pinch hit situation against a lefty. Akil Badu also knows that if he has to face a lefty in a, in a high leverage, you know, type situation, he's probably not getting that at bat. So Zach Short comes in and w- what does he do? Facing Josh Taylor and it's a first pitch slider and he smokes it for Damn. a home run. I mean, gone. And it's a three run shot. Tigers take a four one lead. They end up winning six to four and guess who? And AJ Hinch pointed this out. And I think it was important that he did. Guess who was the first person up on the dugout steps cheering for Zach Short after that home run? It was Akil Badu, the guy who got pinch hit for. And that's that's that that goes even beyond the chess match. That goes into the player buy-in and where this team is at from a, a team chemistry standpoint. So, sure, they show fight. They also have a, an intelligent manager who is elite at mixing and matching and playing the chess match. And they have guys who are, are playing as a team. They want to win. They see the opportunity here. They understand that, look, you know, just because I'm getting hit, pinch hit for, doesn't mean that, you know, I'm not a good player. That means that we have a guy on the bench who's on this team because he's supposed to be in a situation like this to help us win. And, and Akil Badu understands that. That's why he was the first person on those dugout steps cheering for Zach Short after Shorty hit the home run. Yeah, because the next night, Short could start. And who could be coming off the bench to pinch it for him? That's right. Akil could be coming off the bench. You never know, right? And that's why these guys have to be prepared day in and day out. And it's working. It is working. Guys guys are almost shocked when they don't get in the game. Nobody cares if their name is in the starting lineup day in and day out. Look at Jonathan Scope. He's had the best attitude of anybody. And this was a career, everyday player, playing second base. And that that was that was him for 10 years of his life. And suddenly he is not in those situations anymore. He's being tasked with coming off the bench and getting the job done, you know, in, in pinch hit situations. And he's prepared and he's not complaining and he understands his role. And that's where everybody is at right now with this team. And I think, you know, the winning obviously creates that culture, right? Like you have to win games to have that culture. But then I think once you have that culture, then that's the reason that you're winning games, if that makes sense. And by the you, way, who, you, you got to win games to get the buy-in, but the buy-in then allows you to win more games. And who got a big walk and who hit a big productive out? Yeah, into, Jonathan Scope. In today's I mean, game. That's right. Yeah, Jonathan Scope coming off the bench earlier in the game for Nick Maton because of a matchup situation. So, you know, the, the bottom line is, is that they're playing for each other. And it sounds corny and we can overrate chemistry. And yes, this is a hot streak, but it's actually a little bit more than a hot streak. They're 23 and 17 in the last 40, which is a lot of games. And, you know, they just are taking it day by day by day. I think AJ had a lot of questions about the standings today. And you can repeat what he said from the postgame press conference, but he's basically just eschewing discussing that 
although he may be discussing it privately, but publicly not really having a discussion about it. Just basically saying next day up, next game. It's all I care about is the next night. And so. I know, don't you love that though? I mean, and look, just for, for listeners out there, I mean, we're recording this on Sunday night and it's not dropping until Tuesday, but yeah, after Sunday's win, Tigers are one game under 500 for the first time since April 4th, just five games into the season. And they're also, you know, one game behind the Minnesota twins for first place in the American league central. They got the Texas Rangers coming to town and Texas Rangers are playing some damn good baseball with, you know, some pretty elite offense and some really good pitching as well. And it's a three game series that, that starts on Monday. And yeah, AJ Hinch was asked about it. And he said, you know, I just want to beat the Rangers tomorrow. I like the way we're playing. People keep standings for a reason, but you know, everybody needs me to be more focused on Marcus Semyon and Corey Seager than our place in the standings in May. And I loved it. I loved it because that's true. You know, you've got to figure out a way to beat those guys and shut down that offense before you can start, you know, feeling good about yourself or, you know, being one game back of first place in the central. Now you should feel good about it, but you know, publicly that's not what you want to say. And, um, but, but either way, I mean, I know AJ's proud of the way this team has played. I think if you're a fan, you need to be proud of the way this team has played. And I mean, shoot, I'm enjoying covering it, right? Because it's, it, it's a lot more fun than losing baseball. Winning baseball is always more fun than losing baseball. All right. We're going to come back to some of this stuff, but as is our custom, we're going to jump into the big two. So let's get started. First question of the big two. What do you think the roster is going to look like on July 1st? Yeah, obviously, it'll be interesting to see how some of these things unfold. Um, I mean, obviously, Justin Henry Malloy is a guy that you just have to keep an eye on um, only because he is, you know, knocking on the door. He's going to have to produce better than he did in May, no doubt. But um, if he's able to do that in June and, and kind of locks back in, you never know what could happen by July 1st. But I think really the focus, Mark, needs to be on some of the injured players who are going to be coming back. The Tigers have some guys who are out right now, and, and they're going to be creeping their way back in soon. Um, you know, the, obviously, first and foremost, I think we got to go right to Kerry Carpenter because he started a rehab assignment with AAA Toledo. And as of Sunday, he has played two games in Toledo. So one for three he, tonight. He's, he's going to be coming back and the Tigers are going to have to figure out what to do. I, I initially kind of thought, hey, look, Akil Badu is probably going to have to you know, head back down to Toledo. But the way that Akil Badu has played all May, there's no way you're sending that guy down. So it creates for a very interesting discussion. I think Andy Abanez might be at the top of that list at this point um, in terms of who Kerry could, could replace. And that's kind of the first order of business. And, and we can get into some discussion after we talk about a couple other players who are coming back. Two guys that you're going to have to keep an eye on, Matt Manning and Tarek Skubal. Tarek Skubal threw a live batting practice, and Jonathan Scope said he was throwing 98 miles an hour. I don't know if Tarek Skubal was actually throwing 98 miles an hour. I don't think so. Um, but either way, you know, Jonathan Scope said he was nasty. I'll believe that much. Um, so Tarek Skubal is going to be coming back at some point. He's going to have to go through some rehab assignments and get some starts under his belt in the minor leagues before he's activated. Another player, Matt Manning, is going to be on his way back soon. He has thrown two bullpens so far in his return from the, the broken bone in his foot. So he's working back from that. And obviously, you know, probably won't need as many rehab starts, probably won't need as many bullpens as Scooble, just you know, considering the nature of the injuries. But you've got two guys in the rotation who are going to be coming back. And I think one obvious replacement, um, you know, barring a, a crazy change in production, is Joey Wentz. You'd think he would be on the way out. Um, for whoever gets back first, whether it's it's Manning or Scooble. But then you got to decide, you know, once both those pitchers are back, where do you go from there? Let's, you know, you, you got Eduardo Rodriguez, Matthew Boyd, Alex Fido, Joey Wentz, and Michael Lorenzen. You got to remove two. And I think that's a pretty difficult, uh, that's a difficult task for Tigers management to sort through and, and figure out in terms of how they want to go about it. Yeah. Well, you know, starting pitching is a very fickle thing. You got a lot of guys who, historically have not been great for long stretches of time. And, you know, I also think we're going to be confronted by money. Money's going to be a unfortunate deciding factor if two pitchers are very similar and uh, you have uh, quite a bit of money invested in one and very little money in the other. Uh, plus you have options. I don't think it'll be too hard a decision, although <clears throat> you never know. 
people get well, hurt. Well, that, that's that's the thing, though, Mark, is you got Eduardo Rodriguez, Michael Lorenzen, and Matthew Boyd. Those are the guys that you have on on big league deals in your rotation. And so when two comes back, when two come back, you assume Joey Wentz is out and, and Alex Fajardo's out. But Alex Fajardo's been pitching pretty well. It, it's almost hard to, well. to, to think about taking that away from him. It, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And if he's throwing really, really well, they're going to have, you know, a little bit of a dilemma on their hands. I think Lorenzen is thrown well for quite a few outings in a row. It's hard, About hard five now, he's looked pretty sharp. Right. He's got a sub two ERA in the month of May and he's thrown, I think, 30 plus innings. So it's not some fluky run that he's having. So We'll have to see what happens with that. You know, I I did a funny type of, you know, data dive last night. I think I sent it to you. I should probably look and get the accurate numbers on this. But I took the stats of for the month. I took the season stats for uh, Wentz, Boyd, and Turnbull. And it was pretty amazing. Uh, But the three of them together pitched 115 innings, 134 hits, 89 runs, a 696 ERA. That was between Boyd, Wentz, and Turnbull. They started 26 games. So when you look at numbers like that, what would you think? the team's record in those starts would be. Can't be very good. Yeah. 13 and 13. Wow. Which is some kind of unbelievable miracle, to say the least. How about the team is six and three in Matthew Boyd starts? So Wow. Heads off, Matthew. Six and three in your starts. Uh Ev, share that with them. <laughs> share that with him that I was the one that brought it up in his defense. So he knows, but when you're really not throwing great and you're not costing your team games, you know, there, there's something to be said about the resilience of your team. It is a place that I would not want to try for the next 26 starts to duplicate that. And I'm sure that's why they're looking for Manning and Scoobal to return. I, I, I want to touch on Scoobs real fast. I don't want to take up a lot of time on this. We kind of went over it two pods ago, what you can expect in timeline. But it's not simple to come back from arm issues. It's something I'm pretty fluent about. Um, he's going to have to, the next couple times he throws live BP, instead of throwing 20 pitches to three hitters, they're going to extend it. So next the next time... He throws, if he already didn't throw yesterday, he'll throw 35 to 40 pitches where it'll be 15 to eight, 15 to 20 pitches, sit down for five minutes, come back, throw 15 to 20 pitches again. And up down. Right, and up down. Then they're going to do it where it's 60 pitches and he's going to get up and down three times. After he does that, as long as he's healthy and he's still looking good, They probably won't do it a fourth time, but they'll send him out. Where they send him will be fascinating. You know, more likely than not, if I was guessing, I would think that they'll send him to West Michigan. I think so, too, to be closer to the team and to be around, you know, Comerica Park. That way you can just, you know, make a drive over there, make a start and come right back. And just understand that once they send him out, he has 20 days to rehab. So, you're going to probably look at at least three starts. They might try to somehow figure out how to sneak in a fourth one, and then he'll come back and start. So you're probably looking pretty close to the 1st of July for him. Matt Manning might be a totally different deal. We have no idea how much he's really been throwing or how fast he can build back up. I would imagine pretty quickly he's probably going to throw a second or third bullpen, throw live to hitters, and he's going to, probably pretty quickly go out on a rehab assignment. He may, in fact, be ready before the end of June. He could be, you know, between the 20th and the 1st of July. So those are when I would expect those two guys to come back. So 
that's that's your injured player issue. I think they're going to have to address the Nick Maytine issue as much as they're trying to gloss it over and be nice and what a big factory is in the clubhouse. But, you know, you're up to 160 at-bats and the guy's hitting 150. He hasn't really hit a homer in a long time. It, it, it's it's pretty ugly, and so and he's also and he's also and he's also not providing you a ton of value, you know, defensively either. I mean, he's spending a lot of time he, as a designated hitter, and Zach Wisniewski's walking. What's that tell you? I mean, all of a sudden he's not playing defense. What's that telling you? He's not good at defense. I don't know. I just think maybe they think their alternatives defensively they like better. It's not. Yeah, I mean, I look, Andy Abanez, Andy Abanez, despite the error, is a solid second baseman. He's been playing second base all his life. Zach McKinstry's got a great arm, probably the second strongest arm on the team aside from Jonathan Scope, and he's been great at third base and second base. Right. And there's there's really no room for for Nick Maton. But again, I feel it, like if he, you know if he was playing more and if he was hitting the the, the cover off the ball nonstop, he'd be playing every day and finding spots, you know, to play he at would. third base and second base and whatnot, but you're not hitting very well. And, you know, you're not, you know, providing much defensively. Might as well just sit in the DH spot and then you get pinch hit for when your time comes. So either they're going to acquire a left-hand bat or you're going to see one come up from uh, Erie who's absolutely tearing the cover off the ball. So I would actually think in the pecking order of promotion that Cole Keith is ahead of JN right now. I, I think that Justin Henry Malloy, who's, you know, hit about 215 for the month of May, although a lot of people would like to see him promoted, he really hasn't stung the baseball for the last 75 at bats. And to be honest with you, Cole Keith has a 200 OPS plus for the last month. I think seven homers. You know, when it comes between the two of them, um, there's not really a lot to say defensively, but I, I do think that. You know, Colt Keith is probably at this point in time a much more dangerous hitter than Jahan is. He's also just drilled left-hand pitching, and Justin Henry, Henry Malloy hasn't really done too much against left-hand pitching. So if they're going to start adding another bat and Nick Maton's going to go, you know, try to work out his issues in Toledo, more likely than not, I'd see Colt Keith getting promoted over uh, Justin Henry Malloy. That's kind of what I see for any potential roster changes. You know, you got two starting pitchers. You got, you know, maybe a hitter. Um, obviously, Andy Abanez is also something to watch. Uh, you have Kreidler also rehabbing, and that's a favorite of A.J. Hinch. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of where we're going from here. Yeah, no, it will be. I mean, there's there's a lot going on. All right, well. Why don't we review a little bit about what transpired in the month of May and at least give people an idea. I don't think it's a mystery who is great, but uh, I pulled up some data before Sunday's game and, you know, not too much has changed. But I think the thing that sticks out the most for me is, uh, and there's been a lot of tweets about this, but Zach McKinstry, a 23.5% walk rate for the month of May which is number one in baseball. He has uh, 21 walks, which I think was either tied for first or second to Juan Soto. He's also amassed a 1.1 war for the month. And, you know, going into the game Sunday at a 168 WRC plus, which is just, you know, ridiculous. The other person besides Riley Green, who we'll touch on in a second, who's had a tremendous month, is Akil Badu, who had a 13.8% walk rate also, was 304, 400, and 482 slash, and a 150 WRC+. Plus. To that, he added a uh, grand slam today. So he leads the team in RBIs for the month of May with 15. So who saw that coming from anywhere? Did you see that uh, coming from anywhere of or no? Yeah, no chance. No chance. Before uh, before 10 days ago, how many barrels did Akil Badu have for the month? Zero. For the, for the year. He had zero for the year. So that's off to Akil. He, uh, everyone kept wondering if he was ever going to find 2021 again. And in the month of May, he did. And it's been a beautiful thing. You know, I like to tweet out, I call him chaos because 
let me tell you, when Akil Badu is playing well and he's getting on base, he's bringing the chaos and he's brought a lot of chaos. Weirdly, and you know, most enjoyably, the other person that brings a lot of chaos on the bases is Zach McKinstry with nine stolen bases. And Zach McKinstry was on base over 40 times so far in the month of May. So that is just astounding to be on base over 40 times in a month. That's Miguel Cabrera-like from his prime. Actually, 11 stolen bases. Is 11 stolen bases? Yeah, yeah. stole two on the, on, in Sunday's think, game. Oh. So it's been a long time since uh, the Tigers have had somebody with 11 stolen bases in the month, you know, going into the end of May. So, um, you know, besides besides that, from a hitting standpoint, you know, the two, Spencer Torkelson had a pretty decent month. His 12 RBIs was 273, 364, 32 for the month. Zach Shorts had a good, you know, a good month, although he's only hitting 217 going into today's game. 217, 357, 522 with a couple of bombs, seven RBI, 0.4 war. And then the man who had the big month is Riley Green. He's over 100 plate appearances going into Sunday's game. He was 364, 429, 568. Was a 180 WRC plus, 1.4 war, and I'm sure he picked up more today. I tweeted out, it's it's kind of amazing he had two pretty crummy looking at bats early in the game. And then you look up at the end of the day and he's one for three with a huge triple banged off the wall and almost, you know, killed himself out there making an outstanding catch. And he added two walks while he was at it. So it's pretty amazing that at the end of the day, you could do so many things to help your team win. And, you know, sometimes you don't even realize how much he's doing in a game because you've come to expect so much from him. And when there's some struggles on a few swings and then you look up and he's got an entire smorgasbord of things he did to help his team win at the most important parts of the game. So, you know, hats off to Riley. Scott put together a month. Uh, I think everybody had been thinking he could. And, you know, this is obviously setting a standard going forward that's something pretty special. That's what a great player does. It's what a great player does. All right. So, I mean, as far as uh, what some pitchers have done, obviously, you know, Alex Lang is not giving up a run this month. Excuse me, gave up a run the other day. But... um you know, really been very, very good. He has nine saves. ERA of uh, under one. Eduardo for the month, uh, two and two and two uh, with a two sixteen. You know, he's been very good. Michael Lorenzen has been outstanding as a one nine five for the month, and he's done that while striking out fewer than six hitters per nine. But at the same time. Uh, he's been pretty dominant, to say the least. Jason Foley also been outstanding as a two ERA and 10 appearances. Jose Cisnero has an 096. You know, so they've gotten contributions from almost everyone this month for winning. You know, Alex Fiedo has stepped in and done an outstanding job. Will Vest, notwithstanding. A little rocky outing today, looked a little tired, has been very good. And, you know, the bottom line is, you know, the Tigers have been really good. They're 15 and 9 in the month of May. All right, we're going to talk about a few more things. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a minute. All right, we're back. Next couple weeks, schedule is going to start getting tougher. They're going to play Texas, who's in first place in the AL West and is just hitting up an absolute storm. They also are getting some great pitching from Martin Perez, King of the Cutter, and uh, Nathan Ivalde, uh, who a lot of people wrote off last year, but uh, has had a huge comeback. He's 6-1 and one and just dominating right now. Throws 96-98. Had a really good career. So they're going to face some good starting pitching. 
And as I said, they've been hitting up a storm. That should be a tough series and a good test for them. And, you know, after that, they go back and play the White Sox in uh, Chicago. Should be an interesting rematch after they got, uh, they were able to take three out of four. I'm sure Chicago will be looking for a little revenge. And then the week after that, they play Philadelphia. They got some games against Atlanta coming up. So the schedule coming up is not too easy. There's a lot of good teams on it. Yeah, I mean, but we've also learned that you know, there's no real point in schedule watching. I mean, we kind of have been through this before, you know, in the season, right, where we were looking at, you know, playing against the Pirates and playing against, you know, the Nationals and the Royals as, you know, being some easy series that the Tigers would be able to take care of. And you know, the Nationals won, uh, won a game there and, and you know, kind of let the Tigers off the hook in a couple other games. And so I, I'm just looking to see the Tigers beat good teams, bad teams, and um, you know, really prove themselves. I think they've done a really good job of that. They, you know, took care of the Mets and they, they took care of the Cardinals earlier in May and they took care of Cleveland and they're, they're playing good baseball kind of, you know, up and down. I think they have to keep that vibe going. I mean, you, you sure you can look at the schedule and say, you know, sure. Some tough games coming up. The White Sox maybe wanting revenge diamondbacks, you know, they're playing pretty good ball and you know, the Braves, are the Braves obviously, um, but it's going to be a, t- a test that the Tigers are going to have to step up to and, they're going to have to meet if they want to be a team that wants to talk about the postseason and play like you want to talk about the postseason. And I think that's what it comes down to. I don't really care if it's the White Sox, if it's the Phillies, if it's the D-backs, if it's the Braves, if it's the Twins. I don't care who it is. You know, show up and play day in and day out. They've done that so far. So I think you got to tip the cap to them there without looking too deep into the schedule for any concerns. Reminds you a little bit of uh, 2021, though, doesn't it? It does. It does in a way. Um, I think some version of it for sure. Obviously in 2021, it just all kind of came together so late that it almost became, you know, almost irrelevant when it started because you knew that there was really no chance that the Tigers were going to you know, be able to make a serious push. Now at that point, it was great because, you know, the Tigers were in a situation where they had momentum going into the 2022 season. You felt really good about it. And that's kind of what the vibe was. But I think now the vibe is more win now, win right now, win this year. Whereas in 2021, it just all came together, you know, so much later and, and they really didn't get going until, uh, you know, until a later point in the year that it was just kind of like, eh, and it was a little more up and down. And, and at this point, there's a lot of positive vibes about what could happen this year as opposed to next year. All right. So normally we do them in order, but my second question of the big two kind of dovetails into what we've been talking about here, which is who do you think will have a big June? And I asked the question that way because if I were to have asked you this question on May 1st, thinking about what was going on on May 1st, it would have been interesting to hear what the answers would have been because at that point in time, Spencer Torkelson, not doing a lot. Riley Green, struggling like crazy. Zach McKinstry, Shown a flash or two, but yeah, no idea. Akil Badu on the list to get demoted. Would you have seen Alex Fado coming? Would you have seen Michael Lorenzen throwing 34 innings of 195 ERA? So at the start of the month, it's it's always easy to cherry pick who you think is going to have a good month. But I think as we found out on the 1st of May, it's often places you weren't suspecting where you get some of the best performances. So I'm going to ask you again, got any thoughts about who might have a good month this month? Yeah, let's start in the starting rotation. I'm going to go Matthew Boyd. I think he's bound to put together a good stretch of starts at some point. And this is a guy who's, you know, put together a decent stretch at some point in the season, basically every year of his career that he's been healthy. And I think his, you know, delivery looks a little bit more synced up recently and yeah, like Matthew Boyd is, is, is my guy out of the starting rotation that I think is going to step up and have a pretty big month. I also think there are candidates for regression that we can't forget about either. I mean, is Zach McKinstry really going to be able to keep doing what he's doing? I mean, look, I know you mentioned WRC plus, but just to explain it to listeners, it's weighted runs created plus, and it's basically a good way to just average or to, to evaluate all around offense, kind of offense as a whole, um, within a player, within a team, however you want to look at it. Riley Green ranks eighth with a 186 WRC plus and Zach McKinstry ranks 14th with a 168 WRC plus. Those are numbers entering Sunday's game. So is Zach McKinstry really going to be a top 15 hitter in baseball next month? 
Like, I don't think so. And I'm not trying to, again, again, I, I doubted him once. I don't want to doubt him twice. I think Zach McKinstry is going to be a consistent leadoff hitter. Do I think he's going to be as hot as he is right now? I'm not so sure that that's sustainable. I mean, you're talking about it. I mean, that, that's, that's, if he keeps doing what he's doing, like you're talking about, you know, he's going to be an all-star. He's going to be getting MVP votes, right? Um, same is true for Riley Green, right? Is Riley Green going to be able to keep this up in the next month? I, I'm not so sure that it's going to be just like this. You're going to need guys to step up knowing that there could be some candidates for some slight regression, not extreme regression, but slight regression. And so in the offensive side, I think Javier Baez is a guy that, you know, he's bound to heat up. I mean, he, he's somebody who we haven't really seen put it all together yet. The plate discipline has been excellent and much improved. We haven't seen the power sync up with that yet over a long period of time. Javi's a guy who can rip off, you know, a handful of home runs in a single month and can really carry a team for an entire month. And he hasn't done that yet. And June and July, they just so happen to be the months that he plays the best across his entire career. So I think when you look at it from that standpoint, you've got a guy who plays well in June, he plays well in July, you know, the, the weather gets a little bit warmer, starts to get deeper into the season, sees more pitches. I have high hopes for Javier Baez um, coming up this month. And Spencer Torkelson too is another guy that I want to see take that next step. I think he can have a Riley Green type of month um, considering what he has done so far. I think he's done a better, much better job recently of drawing walks and being more selective aggressive. I think he was swinging way too much at the beginning of the month. Now we're starting to draw more walks, put together more complete at-bats kind of day in and day out. So I would look, I think Javier Baez and, and Spencer Torkelson are my two guys from the offense. And Matthew Boyd is is my guy from the rotation that I'm betting on. And out of the bullpen, Alex Lang, Jason Foley, they're just going to run it back again. My guy picked a click for the month of uh June, who's historically had some really, really good Junes and would really be a boon to their offense, is Eric Haas. Mm. Haas has not gone on one of his power uh, streaks yet. And last year, he was kind of scuffling even more than he is this year. And uh, he's exploded in the month of June. So I'm thinking there's some homers in that bat. And uh, I'd like to think that, you know, next month would be a good month. I also think that there's no possible way that Jakey Rogers can be as bad offensively as he's been this month. Uh, There's probably a few homers in that bat, too. So I'm looking for the catchers to do some things. And, uh, you know, as far as pitching, you know, I don't really have a pick to click here. I got to think that Matthew Boyd can be better than he's been. Uh, so I'll be supportive of that idea. Uh, interested to see what else they weave in over the course of the month. But, you know, I just want to remind everybody who uh, you're in love with today, uh, three weeks from now, you may not be in love with them. I do think Riley will continue to do what he's doing. He, he hasn't even really unlocked another part of his game that I've seen quite a bit from him which is, you know, power to the left side of second base. He hasn't even unlocked that part of his game yet. So there, there's more to be had here. Do I think he's going to put up a 180 WRC plus again for the month? Probably not. Do I think that in general that Detroit, you know, I saw today that their WRC plus in, is 100 for the month of May. To try to quickly explain it, WRC plus is basically – a metric that 100 is league average. So uh, Detroit's got their offense up to league average. But when we say that Riley Green is at 180 WRC+, plus, it means he's better than 80% of Major League Baseball. And when you're, we have all, you know, when you're 80% better, that's just a ridiculous pace to be on for a month. I mean, Zach McKinstry being 65% better than league average for a month is just, you know, far beyond any expectation you can have for them. So, you know, the Tigers offense has for the month of May been very interesting. I think they have the highest walk rate in baseball. They actually are up to 25 home runs, but their home run pace has been picking up to almost a home run a game which comparative to what it had been is almost a revelation. And some of their best power hitters have yet to really 
hit for much power yet. So well, that's a big difference too, is to be able to have that thump in the lineup. I also think it comes down to being able to drive in guys with runners in scoring position. That's, that's been the biggest thing is getting those big hits in those key moments. And you saw it in uh in, in a game where Akil Badu hits a grand slam and breaks open the score and, you know, gives you a, a, a nice lead and you feel good. And, you know, that's kind of big hit and big swing that you've been missing for almost the entire season. And so the more damage that the Tigers can do in general is going to be better for them. Um, it's going to help them out with runners in scoring position. It's going to help them out with the bases loaded. Those are two areas where they have been just absolutely miserable this season. And if that turns around, I mean, this is a dangerous baseball team. They, they've got the approach down. They got the team chemistry down. They're starting to hit some home runs and find some power. Now they can start getting more big hits in big situations you can be chasing guys in the third, fourth inning. You know, they, they've letting guys off the hook way too much. And that's like been a problem. Today. Like Dylan Cease, they, they had a chance to put him away early. And oh, although the at-bats were great, and I thought they did a great job against him, laying off his spin and, you know, putting him in uncomfortable positions where he was walking too many guys and just wasn't in command of the game at all, they could have put him away earlier. They could have chased him. He got to complete four innings. And the Tigers should have had him out of the game earlier than that. I think I yesterday checked on the metric that Tigers were hitting under 200 as a team with uh, the bases loaded for the season. It's just been a nightmare every time they've had, you know, the sacks jammed. And when Akil hit that pitch today, uh, I think everybody breathed a huge sigh of relief. I'm still trying to understand. We talked a little about this before the pod. You know, the fact that Dylan Cease did not spin something that hit the dirt before he threw a fastball there is still a gift that uh, I'm never going to complain about. I I just didn't really understand what was going on there, and I would have probably thrown two pitches that spun into the dirt before I threw fastball there. Dylan Cease's fastball was not in the strike zone very often. And no, I, hey, look, he, look, I get, I get your point. I get your point, what you're trying to say, but at the same time, Cease was trying to go up and away with the fastball and he let it leak over the middle. And you know what? Credit to Akil Badu because he didn't miss the mistake. And I think, I think o, you're right. I think o, you're right. An O2 pitch, my man, did not miss it. O2. And that's huge. That's, but that's, that's the difference. That's the difference because it's not just Akil Badu. Zach McKinstry is doing that. Riley Green is doing that. Spencer Torkelson has done that more often than not. I mean, there are guys that are up and down the lineup that are, Herrick Haas has done that, hitting mistakes and taking advantage when when pitchers slip up. A pitch that's up and away to Akil Badu is a much better pitch that's up than, than up and into him. And Akil got the pitch that, you know, he was going to be able to do some damage with and he wasn't afraid and, to take a rip at it. And did not miss it. So, that's a huge right. difference. We talked about, we talked early in the season, Mark, about, you know, teams that were just taking your lunch money, right? You talk about, you know, watching Tampa the, the, the Tampa Bay and watching the Orioles do that. That's taking people's lunch money. When you, when you hit their mistakes, you don't let them off the hook. I'd like to see and that more just often. Got run out of That's their own ballpark. But at the same yeah, time. Zach Shore had the pitch. Well, to say, yeah, throwing 40, which is <laughs> one of the funniest things. If you've ever tried to hit 40, it's not fun. Take my word for it. It's it, not if you're used to. Swinging at 95, hitting, <laughs> hitting 40 is kind of a nightmare. So, but I, I also, you know, today Riley, you know, his triple came on a two strike pitch. So yeah. they've, uh, they've battled really, really well. And I think we were touching on, you know, chemistry before. And, you know, it just amazes me watching the White Sox, especially these last two years, that they have so much good talent on that team and it just the sum of the parts does not equal the whole holy smokes doesn't look like they can stand playing with each other and uh not a lot of camaraderie there and just not a good baseball team so underperforms their talent level i'm you know they have good starting pitching they have multiple they have three guys that throw 100 and when hendricks comes back you know it almost makes four it's just no reason to be as, you know, 11 games under 500. And they have, are, you know, look, they got La Russa fired. Not that I'm a big Tony La Russa guy because I'm 
you know, Tony LaRusso in 2000, you know, Tony LaRusso in 1997. Yeah. But, you know, Tony LaRusso last year, come on, who are we kidding? He's 78 years old and it wasn't exactly the, the greatest managerial selection by their 85 year old owner. But, you well, know, the White right. Sox have more talent than the Tigers across the board. There's no question about it. You match those players up, you know, player for player, and um, you go down that list. And on paper, the White Sox should win, um, you know, more times than not, of course. But for some reason, the Tigers are 25 and 26 in a game back, and the White Sox are 22 and 33 in their six games back. And I think a lot of that comes down to, you know, the culture. And 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 obviously, it starts with winning, of course, right? I mean, the, the White Sox were really slow to start this year, and they struggled, you know, quite a bit. And I think that obviously that, that gets in the heads of guys and, and it's, it's hard to come up and, you know, show up, show up to the ballpark every day and play if you're losing in that way. Um, whereas the Tigers, they seem like they've gelled really well and they bounce back from, you know, some early season struggles. And I think AJ Hinch has done a wonderful job of, you know, keeping them all together and making smart managerial decisions. And then I think, you know, you start winning and you start vibing and you start vibing and you keep winning. That That's kind of how it works. And uh, the Chicago White Sox, I would say those are not positive vibes. Those are bad vibes in uh, in the south side well you you know right now have an entire division outside of the tigers especially in the month of may that's struggling i mean the twins are suddenly not playing very good baseball even though they seem to have good pitching and you know just not hitting much i've seen a lot of frustration with uh, byron buxton who is now a dh seems to be very streaky correa's you know not played well when he's not been injured and in general Miranda's in the minor league. So, you know, they've, they've struggled to score runs. A lot of teams have struggled to score runs. Cleveland had a lot of pitching in- injuries. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, they got a couple, st- you know, I think McKenzie and Savale are coming back. It'll be interesting to see who gets demoted from the rotation. They have also not scored runs. Um, you know, in Kansas City, we got a chance to see them this week, and uh, I'd like to see Kansas City more if they can arrange that. If you can call somebody, I'd be eager to uh, see Kansas City a few more times. Is there, by the way, their rotation is just their rotation is just brutal. I mean, I like Vinny Pasquantino, I like He's Bobby Wood Jr., I like He's MJ good. Melendez, I like Salvador Perez. Like there, there are some decent dudes in that lineup, but man, that pitching staff sucks. It's that bad. pitching staff is bad. Brady Singer is not good this year. I mean, Brady Singer was was his, his metrics were pretty bad last year, but for some reason, you know, he was serviceable going out there and carved up the Tigers quite a bit, actually. But you know, you go look at the the, the baseball savant numbers, and you know, you check the percentile rankings. And it's a whole lot of blue on there, just like it was last year. And he's getting crushed for it this season. He he does not look sharp. All right, I want to ask you because I don't do this enough, but uh, Kansas City. Any good barbecue spots you hit? Yeah, so Joe's Barbecue is actually really good in Kansas City. It's like my favorite place to go to. Um, it's at a gas station, and I get the Z-Man sandwich there. Got some mac and cheese as well. L- long story short, I, I, I didn't used to be a mac and cheese guy, and then you know all of a sudden my fiance, soon to be my wife, Savannah, um, she's all in on the mac and kind of got me into the mac and cheese, and she'd always order it every time we go out to dinner, and I'd always you know reach my fork over there and take a little bite. And so... Now everywhere I go, I, I get mac and cheese. So, yeah, Joe's Kansas City Barbecue. Get the Z-Man sandwich. It's as good as it gets. Great brisket and some fries. And then, of course, the mac and cheese as well. Um, that, that's the place to go to. Recommended by Chad Crunk of the Tigers PR department. Um, you know, put that out to me. And I went a few years back. And now I'm going to go. I go every time I'm there. It's, it's, it's awesome. And so you would say of... Places that you like to eat on the road that's got obviously then a pretty high ranking. Oh, easily, easily, easily. Like probably the highest ranking for sure. I mean, there's different places that I do like and we'll get into it as, you know, I'm on the road and I'm checking different places out. Um, But yeah, like in terms of like consistency, can't miss every time I go, that's that's probably number one. All right. Well, that's an interesting fact. So... All right, guys, uh, Memorial uh, Weekend. I hope everybody's had a really good time. We're going to cut it a tad short this week. Uh, it's been an absolute most fun week of the season almost. Five and two, a lot of come from behind victories, playing up a storm. 
just refusing to lose. I don't know if we're taking lunch money yet, but uh, definitely <laughs> refusing to lose. It's been a pretty interesting month so far. We've got three more games. We've got Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday left in the month. Hopefully, they'll finish strong and try to set a precedent going forward. So uh, that being said, I would like to remind you to please uh, rate, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'd love to see some comments, some ratings. You can say we're terrible. You can say we're great. You can say we should be more fun and we're boring or use too many numbers. Or you just like listening to us because we say a lot of fun stuff and we tell it like it is. Any any of the above would be great. Uh, You can always find us at freak.com. Anytime Evan Petzl writes a column, you'll find our podcast embedded within it. I hope you uh, take a look at that. There's always some good deals to, you know, subscribe to the free press. Ev's writing some great stuff. And it's the time of year where you got a draft coming in both the NBA and the NHL. So I, you know, su- suggest you subscribe to the free press. I'd also like to thank our executive producer, uh, executive sports editor, Kirk Crawford. Our other executive producer, uh, Anjanette Delgado. Anjanette, hope you're doing well. Our producer, Robin Chan. And uh, as always, I'd like to uh, throw out my greeting to my grandson, Braden Michael Boras. Um, my two nieces and nephews have a birthday this week, so happy birthday to them, uh, Bella and Andrew. And as always, I always give the props to Evan's fiance savannah who's taking good care of him uh and for my partner evan petzel i'd like to say peace peace